0: I'm Lauren Curran, and this is Win the Day with James Whittaker.
1: You're listening to Win the Day with James Whittaker. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, here's your host, James Whittaker. Let's go. Hey, winners. Welcome back to Win the Day. If this is your first time here, we sit down with some of the world's true change makers to give you all the tips, tools, and strategies to win the day every day. The quote for this episode comes from Milton Berle and says, if opportunity doesn't knock, build a door. One of my favorite quotes, and today's guest has made a career out of doing exactly that. Growing up, Lauren Quran had one dream, to be a professional singer. At 19 years old, Lauren got her first shot at the big time, auditioning for the hit TV show, The X Factor. After making it through to the final 30, the aspiring singer fell victim to the pressure and spectacle of the occasion, a moment that crushed her confidence and caused her to rethink everything she wanted out of her life. But the devastating failure created space for a new opportunity when Lauren landed her first role in the recruitment industry. With a natural talent for problem solving, relationships, and business, it was a slam dunk. Today, Lauren is at the helm of Australia's most disruptive recruitment agency. As founder and director of Karan & Co., Lauren uses her extensive experience in engineering, construction, and other technical markets to transform companies that want to find and keep the best people. Lauren's family focus allows her to truly partner with her clients who recognize that caring more about people is what unlocks the real profitability and goodwill of a business. Lauren is also a certified organizational coach, is accredited in behavioral interviewing and psychometric testing, and host of the incredible Building Doors podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about why companies struggle to find and keep the right people, how to balance family and career, what failure taught Lauren about future possibilities, and how to build doors and turbocharge your career. Before we begin, the right bit of inspiration can completely change the trajectory of someone's life, so there's a friend or loved one out there who needs to hear this episode or could use some help to win the day, share it with them right now. All right, let's win the day with Lauren Curran. Lauren great to see you thanks for coming on the show thanks
0: for having me James
1: how does it feel to finally be here in the win the day studio in Los Angeles California in person
0: it feels pretty cool it feels it feels crazy it was it's it's we came over here with the the family so we've done. Three theme parks over three days. So, um, like me, like normal, we don't do anything in halves. So <laughs> we've come over and come come at it at a hundred miles an hour. But it feels really good to be here, and already building some amazing connections with people and getting to know people face to face is so good because there's a lot of people that I have known met through COVID times that I haven't ever met face-to-face. So, yeah, it's been really good.
1: And after three theme parks with your family, it's probably (laughs) nice to have a little bit of quiet time today.
0: Yeah, this is so peaceful, (laughs) just quietly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, first question, who was the very first person to believe in you?
0: Oh, look, I've got to say my mum. My mum was my biggest fan, so my mum would take me to... All of my gigs, so I started singing when I was 14 um, in gigs where in venues where I was not old enough to be. So my mum would take me everywhere. My mum would take me to the gigs. My mum would take me to, I remember going on country music talent talent quests where we had to drive hours and my parents would take me there. Mum was always that type of person that she just didn't need to be in the limelight. She was happy to be in the shadow and just wanted her family to shine and I think for me... So much of what I saw her model in that part of her life, that kindness, that family first. It just stuck with me and she always believed in me and she never made me feel that if I had failed or if I didn't win that I was any less than. That was a really big guiding force in my life early on.
1: Mm. Is there a particular story of struggle or success from when you were younger? We'll get to the X Factor audition in a moment. Was there something from when you were a little bit younger, maybe as a teenager, a story of struggle or success that really shaped how you viewed the world and perhaps even your role in the world?
0: If, If I'm to reflect on my teen years, I had a pretty good run as a teenager. You know, I went well in school. Um, I went well, um, you know, academically as well as musically. I wasn't great at sport, but we can't have everything right. <laughs> um, very challenging in that respect. Uh, but if I look back during that time, if I think of a story, probably – I remember in school there was this uh, – I was really into my singing and uber competitive, and I've definitely over the years tapered that back in terms of competing more with myself than others <laughs> and not being – judging myself by somebody else's highlight reel. That's been a huge journey as a parent and a business owner.
1: Great lesson, yeah.
0: But when I was in high school, I, I wanted to be the best, and there was this this gospel singer, and she would always beat me, <laughs> and she was always really, really good, and – I used to. I would. I would get out, and I'm ashamed to say this, but I'm. I'm going to say it. I would get get back in the car afterwards if she'd win, and I'd huff and puff and sulk the whole way home. And I remember both my parents. Or their attitude about it was, you know, you didn't win, but there's a lesson in it. That's okay. What could you do differently next time? What do you want to? do more of? How How was your breathing on stage? How Because in entertainment, there's a whole lot of failure. That's the best and the worst part of it, right? So when you go through that and you are competitive, you have to learn to fail. You have to learn to fail first. And then the success comes from that. Uh, if you don't learn to fail, you won't go anywhere because there's going to be more no's than there are yeses. So I, I think probably for me, that was a, a big lesson. And also, My parents both being disabled meant that, you know, when I talked before about mum taking me places, mum had a morphine pump in her stomach. I had a father with PTSD. It wasn't easy for her to take me places physically. She, She had an operation when I was younger, when I was about 11, and her hip could never fully Reattach back to her, um, the muscle couldn't reattach to the bone. So she had a morphine pump. Dad had a, the back of an 18-year-old, suffered from PTSD. Um, both had morphine pumps. So I, from a mental health perspective, that wasn't easy for her to show up, I think, every day and and let me pursue my dreams. But definitely, you know, that get back up again and – take the lesson in it, has carried me through in life.
1: A lot of people take their parents for granted until they have kids of their own and they realise everything required. It's, did you have a bit more context given the situation you described there in terms of that they were going above and beyond or certainly a bit more extraordinary effort than what other parents had to do?
0: I think I didn't appreciate it as much as I should have at the time. Uh, I think at the time there was uh, – I focus sometimes and I think teens can often be guilty of this – I focused more on what was lacking rather than what was being provided. So instead of thinking about the fact that, um, you know, mum was taking me places and trying to help me achieve my dreams and believing in me, I was more thinking, oh, you know, sometimes I get home and, and mum's not happy or dad's struggling and um, I don't understand why. And I think that side of it that I was grappling with at the same time, I think you've got to remember your parents are human and they're doing the best with what they have and what they know. And and everybody's different version of the best is different too. And so I think when you mature and become a parent yourself, you learn that. And now I can appreciate so much more that Yes, there were days that were really tough mentally for both of them. Um, but the fact that they showed up and wanted me to pursue my dreams, especially driving everywhere with Mum's um, hip pain and condition, was was a big sacrifice on her behalf.
1: Mm, that human nature of focusing on what's wrong rather than being grateful for what we have—like yeah. it's a really important lesson, isn't it? It is. Yeah, I think in every situation, just trying to stay positive and recognize, if you want to focus on the lack, focus on the gratitude first, and then you can move to the lack after that.
0: And they also say it's 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 pretty much near impossible to be to be grateful and then also in a bad mood at the same time. And we have a saying in our team all the time, recruitment. I went from entertainment to recruitment and, and people that know both industries will understand both are full of rejection. Right. So it's just, I mean in, in recruitment you you tell more people that they don't have the job than people that do. So that that art of how to let someone down gently and really respect um, what they've brought to the process and them as a human, as an individual, is so important. And I think, yeah, I think we have a saying in our team, what's the lesson in this? Mm. And it's important because you need to stop and instead of just moving forward from the emotion, also take take stock and go, But what's the lesson in what we've just gone through as a team? Or what's the lesson in what I've just been through in a relationship, in a divorce, in whatever you're going through in life? I think many people are so busy forging forward, but they don't stop to take stock and think what the lesson has Mm. or
1: is. Absolutely. Anyone who knows you knows that you go above and beyond just to try and help people. You've got the most beautiful energy, and I love that about you. You're always just so interested in helping other people. You just instantly brighten up every room you're in, which is so nice. So I first wanted to acknowledge you for that. Where did that originate, do you think?
0: I've thought a lot about this, and I I actually think Uh, when I was a child, and and I see it so much in my daughter, I was very much uh, just had a zest for life and energy for life, and I just really enjoyed making other people happy. And I think that's what music was for me. And I think as well, um, you know, having having a dad with PTSD, having mental health struggles, I realised that there's a power each of us has to brighten someone else, else's day in any small way, shape or form. From the person that makes your coffee, from the person that um, sits you down for a podcast, anybody you interact with, you know, you can change the trajectory of the day. And I think I learned that as a child through seeing the impact that me being able to, I was a bit of a joker with my parents. So, me being able to make jokes and lighten the mood, lightened the house. And then I took that out into the world as well. I thought, well, when I play music, it makes people happy. And then I still think, you know, there's that element in, you know, life now. And that's what I love about recruitment is because when you get it right, not only do you you don't just make one person happy, you you change, you make that person that you've placed happy, their families happier, the people that you've you know the businesses, the growing businesses that have been struggling to find people, you find the right person, you help their business become profitable and help all their employees. So I think that for me, there's that ripple effect. and i I don't think we often think about it of how we can interact and improve the lives of others, but it's definitely been something core to me since a child.
1: Mm, and it sounds like from the things you've shared here as well, it's the stability and presence that can come from understanding that the the beauty of imperfection. If you're constantly hunting perfection, which of course can be good in some situations to bring out your best, but if you're always expecting perfection, you're going to be constantly disappointed and angry and pissed off and frustrated. Whereas if you recognize, look, there are some things that didn't go my way. What's the lesson? How do I retool and attack that thing again? If it's something that I really want, I'm ready to go. Or if nothing else, it created a little bit of space for me to go and attack a new goal.
0: Yeah, and I think
1: or, – Or even close a door that perhaps wasn't meant for me in the first place. Yeah,
0: and you you do have to be able to do that. You do be, have to be able to go and, and change course and go, that was, that was a journey I was on and now I recognise that this isn't my life path or this was there to teach me something but not forever. And you have to be able to move on and move forward. And I think I see so many people stuck in those – they're stuck in those jobs and they're negative and they hate their job change it <laughs> do something about it take even if if it seems so insurmountable take small steps to get towards a bigger goal break it down what are little things you can be doing right now to improve your chances of getting to where you want to be and i think people often just sit in that in that being dissatisfied and not happy with their lot in life where You know, I've on on my podcast interviewed an amazing young woman who's gone from being homeless to now going to the Olympics in boxing. I mean, it's possible, you know, if you believe it and you take the steps to get there.
1: Yeah, and if you're not taking action on your own dreams, you think other people are going to be doing the work for you and and finding the opportunity for you. It's up to you. You've got to lead by example and you can attract all of that other help and resourcefulness along the way.
0: And it's going to be harder for, for some people than others, of course, but that's just life. Not everybody's going to have an equal playing field when we get out into the starting line. But if you work harder than the person that had the, you know, the heads up, you know, racing against you, then – you know, and you're more willing to give to other people and you're more willing to be in abundance and provide help and support for others, that will come back to you tenfold.
1: Yeah, so true. Your X Factor audition seemed like such an interesting pivotal moment in your life. What were you thinking going in? Was your goal to win? Was your goal just to compete? Was it just to do your best? Like what was was your sort of headspace moving in and what did you view success as in that moment?
0: So my headspace going in, I won't lie, I I didn't really understand. It was the first X X Factor in Australia, so I probably didn't understand the gravity of it at the time. I had been through... Um, I was on a kind of a cusp. I'd met with the managers of Savage Garden. We talked about some of my music, um, and then this this had kind of come after that. And so I kind of saw it as a kickstart. I thought, well, this is what I'm going to do. If I'm going to if I'm going to make it, then it's going to be here. This is going to be where I'm going to be discovered, and this is going to be where my career starts off. Now I was starting psychology, studying psychology at the same time at uni, so I was kind of at a crossroads. I'm here, like, do I want to help people? Or do I want to go down to the entertainment, which had been my passion my whole life, you know, ever since I could talk I wanted to sing when I was eight years old. And when I went and auditioned to for X Factor, the, the, the pressure that I put on myself, I was the last to audition on the day when I got through from um, Brisbane. And then when I actually went and auditioned on the second round when I was On Kate Sobrano's team at the time, I was the last to audition on the day. I was like, oh, I'm I'm always last. But that gives you time to get nervous, Mm. gives you time to see the competition. And let me tell you, the competition is fierce in entertainment. You know, no matter how good you are, there's always people around you that are 10, 20 times better than you, and you're going to be sitting watching them. So I think for me, my mindset was I, I look at it now and I got shaken up by seeing all the contestants before me. Oh, I don't sing like that. My voice is more of a jazzy voice, right? So I've got, you know, people that one of them had um, been singing with Ricky Lee for years, and she was, she had this like belter, powerhouse voice. And I was listening to all of them and getting into my head. And by the time I auditioned, I was out of time. I really messed that audition up. And I do think part of that was, getting stuck in my head about comparing. Comparison is the thief of joy, they say, right? And comparing myself with every other con- contestant. Whereas I look at that now, it's like, I was unique. I had my own voice. How can you compare someone's voice to someone else's when they're completely different? So definitely didn't re- recognize the magnitude, but when I was in Melbourne, I did. When I was around all the other singers, I surely quickly realized, wow, these people are pretty amazing.
1: If you had to transport yourself back to that moment now, the day of the audition, what would you have said to yourself? Like how would you rewrite that narrative and, and redo that experience if you had your time over?
0: I would say, I said this, I, I speak at schools um, voluntarily um, on panels and things like that to encourage more women in the construction industry because that's the industry I recruit in. And the one of the girls in the audience asked, what advice would you give to your teenage self? And this is the exact advice I would have given to myself because I was 19 at this time, is stop fitting in when you were born to stand out. Stop trying to fit in with everyone else is doing here. Create your own path. Stand out in, you, in the uniqueness of you and then you can't be compared because you're you and there is no other you. So I wish I'd said that to myself. It took me a long time to just kind of discover my own unique way of being and not compare myself to other people, to other voices, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's so true. We we are busy comparing ourselves. It's another aspect of human nature. We can't help but compare ourselves to other people, and it's a bit like that perfection is a mindset, we, mm. especially when we have no context over what someone else has got going on behind the scenes. There's been more and more insights I've had lately where you see people on Instagram who have the perfect life or you see someone from the outside looking in that they have the perfect marriage and you actually hear some of the things going on firsthand about what's really about how happy they they yes. really are and some of the crazy things that are going on. I mean, if these are the people we're comparing ourselves to, a perfect snapshot of what is very much an imperfect life, everyone is struggling with something behind the scenes. We're all trying to do our best. And even if you are having an amazing week or an amazing month especially if you have kids or even parents, there are things out of left field that can come and and knock it off track. So that ability just to be present and be who you are, lean more, allocate that energy into being more who you are rather than trying to fit in with these people that you really don't have a great context of what's going on behind the scenes.
0: It's so true. And I actually um, ended up – I got into the hype of social media when I was growing our business – And I actually got to the point, we outsource it now. We have a company that does it for us and um, I did that intentionally. I I, I still set the scene of what we want to put out there and things like that, but I just didn't want to be on there all the time because I think you also need to limit that time for yourself. You also need to have a healthy relationship with social media where you can jump on and recognise that that's – it's, it's not all real it's not all as rosy as it seems
1: yeah it's like diving into this perfection pit of like oh my god i just want to feel bad about myself i'm going to log into social media and, <laughs> spend into hours. Social
0: media and see everybody else is doing great things at conferences <laughs> and and you know what it was a big thing for me as well in cuz in the industry i work in um so we're all mums in the business and the industry i work in you know can be long hours and a lot of the recruiters that recruit in the industry are are, you know, males and there's this industry of working long hours and the hustle and that sort of stuff. And I was like, Man, I can't hustle and work the hours that other people are, are, are doing because I have young kids and I wanna add value to their lives and I want to have time with them. And so my life has to be my life, not what not comparing myself to where other people are at in their journey. Because that might be what they want for them. But Do I really – sometimes question yourself, do you really want that person's whole life? And I'm telling you, if you question it, you will actually say no. You don't. So stop looking at parts of it because it's their whole life. It's the hours they work. It's the pressure that they're under. All of that is a bigger piece to why they might be – you know, where they are right now.
1: Exactly. It's not really one metric, is there? It's like what are you know, they might be very successful financially, but how much time, quality time and being present, having fun experiences, which is something I know that you are just so great at doing with your with your kids, enjoying all those amazing adventures and and really providing an environment for that. That is such a much better metric rather than saying, Oh, someone's earning thirty percent more money. Well, what if you have thirty percent more time in the house with your family who are the most important people in your life and then get the best energy of you rather than you being so burnt out or coming home when the kids are asleep, which led to the question now that I want to ask you, how did your life change specifically? Because I know this was a really Mm. interesting and pivotal moment for your life. Becoming a mum and at the same time, it's not like your career aspirations disappeared. Ever since you were a kid, you had Mm. these dreams to be performing on grand stages and doing your best and to help make the world a better place. How did you balance that individual career aspiration at the same time as you became a parent where all of a sudden, all of these different things just, just come out of left field? Stress, chaos?
0: I feel like I had to find a new identity and I feel like one of the reasons I actually started the podcast as well um, was because in that journey from being so career driven and then having kids and I was super maternal. I love my children. I love they, they crack me up. They're so funny. They're challenging and funny all at the same time. It's like this, you know, if you think you you know are a structured person, put children in the mix because you just never know what's coming next. Like it's it's we call, um it's an Australian saying, but we call my daughter a bit of a loose cannon. We're like,
1: what's she <laughs> going to do? We don't know.
0: We don't know. It's probably going to be funny, maybe inappropriate. We're not sure what's coming up next. <laughs> so I think when you have kids, you know, if you've had this idea or an identity of yourself – as a career person, and then you're a mother and you're a parent. To me, the, the biggest change for me when I had children was um, I, I was in a in a global role um, when I had my son. He was a baby. And I'll never forget I was doing a leadership because I did leadership programs for a couple of years, and I was doing a program and I got a call from my husband. He was really sick. He had to go to hospital. Um, he wasn't keeping fluids down. He was a baby. He was like a year and a half. And I remember getting on the plane and I was on the plane and crying the whole way, you know, like just like upset. The flight attendant gave me a little lanky and settled me in. Love flight attendants, by the way, um, especially when they're super kind when you need them. And so I got home and I went, is this what I want for my life? Because I don't think it is anymore. I still didn't know then what my life would would be or what that wanted to look like. And then... I found out that I had a gene, a gene that causes, it's a cancer familial gene or it's, a, it's called SDHB. And that was after the birth of my son and all this had been going on and I, and, and I get regular scans, MRIs every two years and things like that. So if, they, if there's anything, they'll catch it early. It did take, sadly took my nan's life and my, and my cousin has had one as well. And when I found that out, I went, I, can, I need to stop waiting for life to start. We want to live on a farm. You know, I know the life that I want. Why? Why am I saying in the future I'll do this? Oh, after the kids are older, I'll move here. Or constantly putting that off. We don't know that tomorrow is guaranteed. We don't know that. So why do we keep putting off the things we want in life or that are important to us for some promise of of a tomorrow? You know. And I'm not saying that I felt like there wasn't that tomorrow, but I am. I felt in that moment that if there was going to be a life change, we needed to make it now. And I wanted to make memories with my kids that were important and that meant something to them for their whole life and that shaped them. And to do that, I was like, right, I need goats and chickens. (laughs) Stat. (laughs) I grew up on acreage and both of us, my husband and I had grown up on acreage. So the idea of having a little farmhouse was, you know, absolutely what I had to do. So we drove out. Looked at all these houses that the, I knew it the moment I walked into the house. I just got this warm, homely feeling, and everyone talks about that when they come in. Like we can't get people to leave. Like it's it's that kind of home where they just feel so at home.
1: You're trying to give people some yeah, awkward it's like, cues, okay, it's like yeah, yeah, babe,
0: yeah. See you. T- turning on the lights and the music. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's the it's the go home music, <laughs> and. That, for me, was a pivotal changing moment in my life that I went, you know, and, and I think it's shaped so much of what I do now. I wanted to start a business, so I was like, okay, okay, I'll start a business. And I think people have a lot of thoughts around, oh, I'll do that when, or I'd love to in the future. Well, why can't the future be now? And you don't have any guarantee of
1: the future. You're doing amazing things. We'll touch on a second with, with uh, your career and your business, Quran & Co. Thinking about what you just shared there in terms of taking action now. I'd love to know what a, what a more detail on the absolute non-negotiables for you. Given that you have this career, you've got a, a growing team with clients all over the country. What are your non-negotiables for life when it comes to home and career that you just will not bend on?
0: I need to be able to go to the staff for my kids' kids' school. I need to be there for the big moments. I won't I won't uh, compromise on that, and that's really important to me. I need to make time for exercise. So if I'm in a role and I'm not having time for exercise or I get too busy, from a mental health perspective, if I don't make time for exercise, I'm really annoying uh, because I overthink, I stay up at night, I can't. um, I'm quite a high-energy person, so I feel like energise expels that energy. and, And my husband will even say to me sometimes, have you been to the gym? <laughs> you know, in the last couple of days, just asking. You know, just uh, just just checking in.
1: Putting so- the car keys in your hand and <laughs>
0: <laughs> have some fun at Pilates. Um, so that's another one is is making time for exercise, and then the third one is working with people and clients that have the same values I do. So I quickly learned in the corporate world that what would make my job rewarding is holding a high standard of our own personal ethics and integrity in the way we deal with people and also the clients we choose to partner with. And I think so often companies, it it can be so tempting with big profits and lucrative deals to um, sell your soul, but your team feels it. And so will you as the business owner because they're more difficult to deal with. They take up more time. You know, you don't feel appreciated or rec- uh, or um, recognised as, mu- as much. And in our industry, if you're feeling that, then what do you think the people are feeling that you're placing into that role? You know, I made that connection and I went, right. But it can be done really well. Recruitment is such an awesome thing. Like the ability to find someone a job that can shape their whole life. You know, that's a, it's a privilege. And so I think so often it's turned into what I saw, a lot of money-making. You know, it, it was a, almost like trading people into jobs and just moving on and it was about making as much money as possible. Whereas where I see it is getting it right. You can really, you know, change someone's life.
1: So the problem you wanted to solve with Karana Co was the typical – Uh, transactional way of doing things that the recruitment industry had become, you're coming in to say, how do we partner with leading businesses and clients who just want to have great people and they recognize that by looking after your people first, that is going to heavily incentivize them to go the extra mile, which affects your bottom line.
0: A hundred percent. And then also going in with those organizations and not looking at it like a transaction. When you're going into a business, and I think all of us in, in my team have, you know, over 10 years experience working for companies doing their resourcing. When you go into a company, you can see the issues of why the role may have not have been filled. And to me, the other thing is if you've got companies that want your help, uh, they know that great people are the foundation for their success and they really mean that. And I'm not talking about just having those values on the wall, but I'm talking about you see the way that they treat you as a supplier and the way they treat people in the interview. You partner with those kind of clients and you help them, their business is going to be immensely successful. And it's going to be because you help them as well. They don't a lot of the time, they don't have all the time to know everything about recruitment. They might not, not understand that the salary is pitched wrong. They might not know that the, you know, title is incorrect for the position. They might may not know that their onboarding experience isn't great for someone coming in. There's so much that we can help with outside of just the actual finding of the person. And that's what lights me up too. To see an organisation get it and get great people is so rewarding. We had one client that said to me, I didn't even know this story. I sat down and I took my team out, member out there and they go, do you know why we use Karan & Code?" And she she was like, no, I, you know, I, know, I know that we had a long relationship with you. And she said, in our first year we hired 40 people and kept five. 40 people we hired, paid fees for, kept five of those people. And she said, and for the last, you know, over a year we're keeping everyone so that's the difference that it can make actually putting the time in and doing it wrong so people always talk about what's the cost of you know a toxic employee when you get it wrong what's the toxic the cost of someone falling out what's what's the cost of actually firstly paying all the agency fees for these people but the damage to your culture too and so I think for me when I started to make those connections and missing pieces i thought let's let's do it the way that that i that I want to do it and the way that I think is going to add value to businesses.
1: How often do you turn down companies then if you feel like they're not values-oriented or there's just some part of the communication you have with them where you're like, this is just not a good fit for me?
0: I think about 25 to 30% of the
1: time, yep. <laughs> attrition rate like the Navy SEAL training. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: So sometimes you've really got to be conscious about whether the company wants to change as well because sometimes a company doesn't have bad values but they have inherited bad processes or things that are disengaging for somebody coming into the organisation. So you've really got to make the connection of is it a values misalignment or have they developed learned behaviours or bad behaviours in their hiring processes that we need to tweak to improve their results. You know, and so I see see both. I had one client that they needed to tweak. They had a bit of a bad reputation, but the reality of working there was really good. However, they were getting tarred with um, a previous executive that had worked there three or four years ago who was a bad fit that everyone remembered, right? So we just had to help them, you know, recover from that. And that's fine. Then you'll get other clients that, you know, you'll send them, they'll ask you to recruit for them, you'll send them options, and then I had one done. You never hear back. You never hear back you don't have feedback for the person, that's a complete no-no for me. So if that's the case, I just won't go there. And so you, you, a lot of the time the tricky part is you don't always figure it out until you start dealing with them, right? So you've got to be okay to go as a team collectively and go, hey, that wasn't a great experience. And these are the reasons why we don't feel like that client is going to change. Let's, let's move on because mm-hmm. we know that that's not going to be uh, values alignment for us. And I'm always – Put my team first, and I say I don't. I don't want you getting up at work and not enjoying your job. I don't want you, you know, dragging your feet to deal with a client that you know doesn't appreciate the work and the great work that you do. So it's important to me that you enjoy your work as well. So you owe it to your team too.
1: Are you comfortable providing unsolicited feedback to a company that just isn't delivering? That you know, you said there. There are some things that they may not even be aware of. Maybe they're growing too fast. As you as you said, they might have inherited some bad processes. Are you are you pretty proactive? Or yeah, you, yeah I, I thought you might be, which is great. <laughs> it's like if you go to a restaurant and you had a meal that's horrible, that the restaurant would much rather you tell them what was wrong so they can update their processes and make it better rather than seeing like a Yelp or some other type of review online about oh, how bad absolutely. the place
0: is. So we do a lot of um, executive search for senior roles. And the reason I love that is because when you start searching for the role, you go to the market and you talk about the company to the market. Ooh, you get a lot of insights there. And so you go back to them and, and, and you say, are you aware that people feel, you know, that that there might be some burnout in your business, that you're under-resourced? Or are you aware you have a view of a very traditional model and people are craving more flexibility? Are these things that you are aware of and i think business owners particularly just love hearing that because how often do you get that opportunity to have a lens thrown you know shone-, shone on your business and be able to reflect on that so i think feedback is super important i'm also open to feedback too and I think everyone needs to be because it's how we grow and it's mm-hmm. how we get better in business.
1: The importance of outside perspective. The so more, more you're in the trenches doing your own stuff, it doesn't matter who it is, you know. Yes. Elon Musk right through to someone who's starting a business, soliciting and asking for specific critical feedback as much as possible. Oh, absolutely,
0: absolutely, and not and not being afraid to sometimes say the unpopular thing. It took me a long time to realise, because I like making people happy, but making people happy isn't always being liked, mm-hmm. You know, sometimes people need to go through uncomfortable growth to be better, to, for their business to be better. Someone on my team said to me once before, because I always just wanted to help, right, and they said to me, every time you help or you step in, you rob that person of the opportunity to grow. Mm-hmm. So you might think you're helping them, but you're actually just swooping in and fixing it. Let them fix it. Mm-hmm. And also let your team not be afraid to fail. I say that all the time. I don't mind if you get it wrong. As long as you learn from it and you work with the client to fix it, that's fine. I think so often if we live in fear, we live in fear of failure, then we're not really learning because we can't be, because we're not giving ourselves fully to whatever we're doing.
1: What do candidates want and what should businesses these days be offering?
0: Candidates want to be connected to your business when they see you on social media, when they interview with you, and they want you to understand them as a person. And this is really hard for businesses to do. And particularly I think sometimes it's really challenging in those markets that might be engineering or finance where they're very sort of logical sometimes in those markets. Um, But what they're looking for is for you to connect with them at multiple touch points. So when they see your brand, they want to build a connection there and want to work for your business and learn more about what it's like to work there. A lot of the time, what you see is in, you know, the projects that a company does or, you know, very much vanilla stuff, which is still good. But as a person looking for a job, you want to know what's the Candidate experience? What's it going to be like for me working in that company? And then that carries on in the interview. When you interview, do I have rapport for, with this person? Do I feel like I could see them as an inspirational leader or a manager? And if you're firing questions at a person one after the other, not really giving them that opportunity to see in or to get a lens into your business. And then I think the hardest thing that people are grappling with at the moment is individuals want businesses to think about their personal circumstances. And this is a huge shift that I've seen since COVID. And I think people have, you know, the media has made it so black and white where it's like, you know, everyone get back to the office, everyone's lazy at home. It's actually not that at all. It is people are now going, I want a job that suits my life. I've COVID-let home life into the business world. And you can't just undo that now. So now you've got to go, okay, what is the model that works for me? Is it hybrid? Is it me being in the office and and working from home some days? Is it um, me having every second week in school holidays, working from home if I can, starting early, finishing early for school so I can at least do maybe school pickup, but I can't do drop-off. Think of all of that stuff and I think so often it's not a cookie-cutter approach anymore and that's what people want. They want to be seen. They want to see into your business, know what it's like to work there and know that you see them as a person too.
1: Yeah, I think one of the reasons Kranico has been so successful in such a short period of time is that you're helping people build a life. You're not helping people build a career. And if they're just building a career, they're gonna be grabbing whatever vine's coming up, or they're gonna be getting frustrated and, and burnt out in that role. But when they can build a life, it's so much more meaning. They have so much more energy that they, they can go and give back to the company as well. It's a win-win for everyone, right?
0: Exactly. And I think we no longer and I, I don't I think we were foolish if we ever thought we could can separate career uh, from our home life because the two intertwine. Each decision we make in one impacts the other. And this whole notion of work life balance, well, I don't know. I think that that work-life balance notion sets us up to fail because is there ever really a balance? Because sometimes your kids are going to need you more because they're going through a tough time or they're sick or they're struggling at school. So your effort's going to need to be more there. and then But then you're going to need to have other times when your business needs you more. So you need to be able to scale up and scale down when you need it as a parent and as a person running a business or building a career.
1: Mm, absolutely. The quote for this episode from Milton Berle, I know it's a favourite of yours and mine, <laughs> if opportunity doesn't knock build a door. What does that quote mean to you and what doors have you been able to build that have been most effective for your life and your trajectory?
0: I think so. I wanted to, when my daughter was three months old, I wanted to do recruitment, but I didn't want to be in an office at that stage. I wanted to juggle. Um, at that time, my husband was in a role that was had a lot of travel involved and things like that. And so I wanted to be home more while they were little. And so there was nothing I could see that existed. This is pre-COVID. There wasn't that flexibility that I was hoping for. So, what I ended up doing is going, okay, I worked commission only for four years for a business, mainly from home. I was only meant to do it for a year. Four years later, I made it work and I worked three days with my daughter and my son around his kindy and her in part-time daycare. And it wasn't easy, but it was my choice and it was what I wanted for my life and the balance that I wanted in my life, which is different for everyone, by the way, and that is completely fine, but whatever you want, listen to it, you know, and you're still going to have mum guilt um, and dad guilt and parent guilt because that's just ongoing because you never know if you're doing it right and you probably won't know, you know. you have just what is right anyway. You're going to do your best, right, yeah. and at the end of the day, your children will take lessons from what you do well and what you don't do well. Both are equally important lessons. So I think for me the opportunity to to build something that isn't there yet and go, oh, I want to work from home part-time. I was like, what do you mean? No one does that. I was like, well, I, I want to. So I'll figure out how I can make it work, and I did. And then I wanted to have a business that was a remote model. It's now more hybrid because we do I do spend a lot of time going in and out of the city because I love seeing people. Um, but the base is that the team can work remotely and work in and around their kids' hobbies and family commitments. I get messages from mothers on the daily about what we're doing and just kind of saying, oh, you know, I wish I could find something like that. Do you have anything? We we don't have to advertise. If we wanted recruiters, we, more recruiters to grow, we would have people, you know, we, and this is the thing businesses don't understand a lot of the time is, you know, if you allow people, you know, to come up and show up as their selves at work, and build the opportunity they want in your organisation, you'll have a loyal
1: employee for life. Mm, so good. You are the host of the Building Doors podcast. How has just having a podcast changed your life? Any, any big opportunities in particular that have, that have come from that or in terms of the confidence or relationships you've been able to build?
0: So many ways. Uh, podcast is, is, is a game changer and especially if you – you know, do it well in terms of, you know, making sure that you've got, and you've been a huge help to me in that as well. I have to thank you so much because you just run a fantastic podcast and just uh, this was the first podcast that I sort of listened to and really got (laughs) engaged with and that was during COVID and COVID was tough in recruitment. And so I thought I want to create or build a door, Building Doors podcast to use what I know around careers and help other people see. I have so many amazing conversations every day and I've always thought, geez, I wish this was recorded. That's a greater thing about podcasts now. It can be. And people forget as well when you're in a room and relaxed. They're just so much more vulnerable and share. And I think when we're combating the highlight reel of social media, having those deep and intimate conversations and podcasts, firstly, it's fed my soul. It's helped me reconnect with who I am as a person and not just a business owner or a mum, but, that human connection with people and recognising that it doesn't matter how powerful, you know, senior or executive, everyone's got their stuff. You know, everyone's dealing – and I always had a saying with my kids, be kind because everyone's fighting a battle you know nothing about. And that doesn't just exist in in one area of society. It exists everywhere. And so I think that podcasting has opened my eyes to different people in terms of their own personal struggles. But also connections like I'm doing a speaking event coming up, my first speaking event, which I'm super excited about around designing a career you'll love. So that's coming up in November. And then I've gone on other podcasts um, here at the Mastermind coming up in a couple of days. I feel like the podcast opens up opportunities for you to connect with people who have shared values and can, you know, take things with. To the next level with you, we partnered, I, I forgot to mention, as we partnered with um, one of the guests does Top 100 Women, so we partnered with them as their provider because we made that connection and then I help young women coming through from there. So it's just about once you have a podcast and you can provide value to people they provide value back, and it's just an amazing feeling. It's, it's, it's unlike anything else.
1: Yeah, people think that the most influential people don't want to help. When you actually have people, if you have those strong connections, you have a way of being able to access those people that give you energy and help raise your idea of what's possible and can help you implement those things, they want to help on the condition that you're specific with an ask. And an easy way to do that is to say, oh, look, I noticed that you're connected with this person. Would you feel comfortable making an introduction if you think they would be a good fit for the podcast or whatever it might be? Mm. So having a podcast means that every couple of weeks, you and I are meeting someone who's incredible, someone new which gives us energy. My good friend Brandon T. Adams is actually staying with us this week. And I was writing my journal this morning. And I was watching him. He just takes call after call after call. He doesn't eat anything until nighttime. It's quite incredible to watch. <laughs> and I wrote in my journal, I was like, it's really interesting just to have someone like Brandon here to watch his energy because I feel like that's giving me energy. Mm. And I heard him doing a radio interview this morning and he said, it's great to be staying with James Whitaker and to see his energy because that's giving me energy.
0: It's <laughs> so, so propelling backwards exactly. and forwards.
1: Exactly. Comparing to someone who's working in isolation the whole time or mm. you're doing the same thing over and over again, you're need to have access to that inspiration. The best way to get that by far is to have a podcast. Mm. But it's not the only way. There's many ways you can do that. But I think it's a good lesson for people to be able to get out of their comfort zone and to do what you can to try and connect with people who are just high energy, who can help you be more successful in your life.
0: Absolutely. And when you're doing that, the great part about it is you're connecting with these high energy people with sharing great insights and then you're sharing that with the world. I think I, I was I was just blew my mind that our podcast was listened to in over 25 countries. <laughs> and so there's people that I don't even know over the, the world that are getting something out of that. That might just wake up with a bit more of a spring in their step or they might but that might be the day that they take action. That might be the day that they go, you know what, I'm not happy in my job and I'm going to make a change or you know, I'm not not spending enough time with my kids, and that's important to me, so I'm going to change things. You know, if if I've done that in some small way for one person, then, then that's success to me too.
1: You'd be walking down the street in Paris being like, wow, I didn't realise how popular I was in France.
0: <laughs> what an autograph? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: A <laughs> uh, well, question I wanted to ask you, we, we sort of touched on a little bit earlier, but how do you create fun experiences for your kids? Is there a process that you have or something you just focused on thinking about every year?
0: I think it'll make it a priority, you know. Um, you've got to, we go camping a lot. Um, we, uh, this is, we have overseas trips. It's been a little while. This has been our first one in a few years, but it's about looking at, I, I kind of always did it. Even when I was working in New Zealand, we would tack on a family holiday at the end and then my husband would come with my son. Just making it a priority and going, What do you want your children to remember? Because there's only going to be a small, finite amount of time that they're going to want to hang out with you. And then they're going to be teenagers and they're going to be in their room and then you're going to try and knock on their door and they're going to tell you to go away. (laughs) Or, or, you know, I would hope that when my kids are teens that they'll think I'm pretty, I'm I'm cool mum. You'll be the cool mum. I'll be cool mum. I'll be cool (laughs) mum. That's what I'm aiming for. So I think you've got to make it a focal point and you've got to plan for it. Plan for it in your you know, year, and go, okay, when can we create some fun experiences as a family? We go every year. We have tradition. We do Blues and Roots in Australia, which is a big music festival. We take the kids. We were in the Sunday. We were famous. We were in the Sunday mail <laughs> hauling through this, um, like, wagon through the mud. Um, my husband hauling, by the way. And I, I don't think he- You were I, in the
1: wagon I, as well with the kids?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tough job for, for him. But he had this expression on his, on his face of- not sheer joy um, pulling the wagon through the mud, but i it was just a great experience and we do that every year with our kids and then we're here and they've gone to Disneyland and I think I think you've got to make it a priority. It doesn't have to be expensive, you know. It doesn't have to be an overseas trip. You know, camping, you know, is really affordable and it's still a great experience for the, with the kids. So making that time, what do we work for? We don't just work to To work and work and work, you know, our kids want to have that time with us. So just intertwining it into your life is really important, planning for it when you plan your year.
1: Mm, For sure. Last question before the rocket round On your best day, what's an affirmation that you would write on a flashcard that you could show yourself on your worst day?
0: This too shall pass. Mm. You know, stay the course because I think sometimes when you're in those dark moments, you can get stuck there and it can feel hopeless. But then, We even have that saying in in our team, this too shall pass. Just stay the course. Mm. Because often, you know, when things aren't going well, you don't know if the plan that you're doing is right and you don't know if you're doing anything right. But if you stay the course and you believe, you know, in your values and believe in why you're doing something, you'll get there.
1: You know, I also think about that quote, in the positive side about this, two shall pass. If it's something good you're experiencing, or just a fun moment with your kids, it's like, hey, this two shall pass. It's a reminder to connect with with the good things that's going on, yeah. As well, it's and such just a be great. There. Be there, yeah. be in the
0: moment. How often are we? We're I'm checking myself on it all the time. How often are we hanging with our kids or coloring or doing homework and we're thinking, oh my gosh, I got this big meeting tomorrow. Like we are all guilty of it. It's not. There's no shame in it, yeah. but it. And, and we're never going to be perfect at it. But it's just always reconnecting and bringing yourself back. To that, you know, this two shall pass. They won't be little forever, you know. Cool.
1: Well, let's now move into the Win the Day Rocket Round. Ten questions for some quick answers. You up for this one, Lauren? Yep,
0: yep. I'm up for a challenge.
1: Number one, you and I love a good quote. What quote inspires you the most? Is it the Milton Bell quote for it the episode? It actually is. It actually <laughs>
0: is because it's everything that I've done in life. Absolutely. If opportunity doesn't knock, uh, build the door. And then um, I also do like the be kind because everyone's fighting a battle you know nothing about.
1: So good. Number two, morning coffee or evening wine? Oh,
0: I have to say morning coffee. I I, I can't survive with that, that, that but wine, I probably could.
1: Yeah, the wine's more of the luxury, than It's the morning coffee that's just very nice to get the- The morning
0: coffee gets me going. The yeah. wine's like, you know, if, if I, you know, have the time and can, you know, download and decompress, then wine's a luxury.
1: And that means you need more coffee the next day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's a
0: self-fulfilling thing.
1: <laughs> Number three, what's one bit of advice you would give your 18-year-old self?
0: I would say what got you here won't get you there, so mm-hmm. keep growing.
1: Number four, what book do you gift the most or is there a book that contributed most to the mindset you have today? I
0: like How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's probably a good one. And I should say Think and Grow Rich as well because I have read that recently and it was brilliant. And there's a recent one, like there's so many. I gift books all the time. So every time someone comes on my podcast, generally I'll gift them a book uh, because, yeah, books are such a beautiful gift to give. But How to Win Friends and Influence People was the, I need to think of the first book that got me into reading, and it was that.
1: That came out within one year of Think and Grow Rich, 1937 and 1938. Very interesting time for the world. Yeah, Those two books are yeah. absolute all-time classics. Number five, was there a vulnerability you once hid within that became your superpower?
0: I think being emotionally and really caring about people. I think for a long time, you know, particularly in the industry, working in construction in a, in a heavy, heavy industry, I thought that that was a sign of weakness, but now I see that empathy and compassion is just a sign of a good
1: leader. Mm-hmm. Number six, what's one thing you've learned about failure? it's constant. <laughs> it is, right? Every day. Every day. Yeah. And you've got to
0: go with it. Like Don't, don't fear it because if you fear it, um, you'll be constantly met with disappointment. Failure is constant because it's how we learn. It's how we grow.
1: When we win the day, it doesn't mean that you're immune from scars. So often you have those scars. Sometimes it feels like every day, but we take our, we do what we can to make sure we, we keep moving forward. Number seven, if you could sit on a park bench and have a conversa- conversation with someone alive or dead, who would it be?
0: I really like Oprah. I would love to sit down with Oprah. I just think she so much of her compassion. For me, the connection she has with people, she's got this beautiful energy, and it would definitely be Oprah just to to hang out
1: with her. Mm. Number eight, what tool or resource best helps you run your life or your business?
0: Ooh, um, that's a good one. Tool or resource? (laughs) That is a really good question, and it's kind of stumped me. Tool or resource that best helps me run my business? I would have to say Teams, and and I don't love Teams, but I think Teams helps us stay connected during the day if you want to have a quick chat or something like that. So I think working in a hybrid model where we are remote, I still need to see their, their faces and we still need to connect. So I think Teams is something that's been a game changer for us.
1: Number nine, share one thing on your bucket list.
0: I think doing a TED talk—that's on my bucket list. Mm-hmm. I would love to do that. A good friend of ours, Livy, recently did one. I was watching it; super proud. Yeah, I would love to do—love to do that one day.
1: Yeah, Livy's got poise beyond her years, doesn't she? She does. It's She's such
0: a natural. Yeah. And I was watching it like every five minutes on the video. I missed you. I'm so proud. This is so great. You know, I <laughs> think <laughs> my husband's was like, "Who are you messaging?" I'm, I'm like, "Messaging her," <laughs> while I'm watching the video. But I think, yeah, that's just—I love speaking, and yeah, that's one thing I'd love to share the message.
1: Mm, shout out to Libby Red, and we're going to uh, leave a link to her TED Talk in the uh, show notes of this video, if, especially if you've got young people or you're a young person yourself. It's an amazing TED Talk. Final question, number 10, what's one thing you do to win the day?
0: One thing I do to win the day is constantly show up with good energy. So no matter what's going on in my life, I will always bring my energy for the people that I care about and for the people that I am here to serve.
1: I can vouch for that. You definitely do. Thanks, you Well, James. Lauren, thank you so much. And there are a bunch of ways to connect with Lauren Karan. and we'll link to all of these in the show notes. You can follow her on Instagram at The Building Doors Podcast. Connect with her on LinkedIn. She's crushing it on LinkedIn at Lauren Karan. And learn more about her business at karanandco.com.au. Again, all that and more will be linked in the show notes. Lauren, I can't thank you enough for coming on. It's been amazing.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome. Thanks, James.
1: Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Win the Day podcast. We want to hear your thoughts on what we covered today. So drop a comment on the YouTube version of this episode with your favorite takeaway, any questions you have, or what actions you'll be taking as a result of what was shared in this episode. And if you found value in the Win the Day podcast, leave a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You'll find a link to both of those in the show notes. It'll only take you a few seconds and more ratings really helps other people discover the show so they can get the mindset upgrade they need and we can bring more winners into the Win the Day movement. That's all for this episode. Get out there and win the day. Until next time, onwards and upwards, always.